The show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Patients, docs, nurses, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we've tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Digital health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status, no. Yeah, this is the healthcare rap. Y'all, come on, let's go. New choices, new platforms, new care models. In the healthcare of tomorrow, consumers win. But who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? We're here to answer those questions with some provocative thinking about how to create the healthcare that people actually want. Ready to roll up your sleeves, look at the world a little differently, and explore the frontiers of consumer health together? Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Here we go again. Welcome back. I'm Jared Johnson, ready to share some more provocative thinking about the healthcare of tomorrow. If you're just now joining us, we hope you'll follow us and check out our previous episodes, all 200 of them. We're now in season seven, where we're writing the consumer health playbook and answering the questions, who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? Let us know what you think about this episode and what topics you're dying to hear about in future episodes by reaching out on LinkedIn or Twitter at Healthcare Wrap. So here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about what the CEO of Whole Foods recently said about whole person health. John Mackey delivered a scathing review of the U.S. healthcare system at Hims. So what did he say that we should do instead and why is it important? I'll talk about that. Then we try something a little different this week. Alan Shoebridge and I go toe-to-toe on retail health in a friendly debate format. Can we practice what we preach and respectfully find common ground about topics that we're passionate about and don't necessarily always agree on? There's one way to find out. It's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the week. Leave it to the founder of Whole Foods to throw down the gauntlet about whole person health. John Mackey founded Whole Foods 44 years ago and has stated that he plans to retire on September 1st. Maybe that impending exit is what gave him the gumption to share some particularly poignant thoughts during his opening summit keynote at Hims in March. Mackey didn't mince words at all, stating very clearly that in his opinion, the best solution is to not need healthcare. He said the best solution is to change the way people eat, the way they live, their lifestyle, and diet. There's no reason why people shouldn't be healthy and have a longer health span. A bunch of drugs is not going to solve the problem. Health economist Jane Saracen Khan added some color to Mackey's thoughts in a blog post published March 15th. She said, The healthcare industry ecosystem-wide is catching up with Mackey's vision of food and nutrition embedded into healthcare. It's not nearly universal, but as value-based payment grows year-on-year, business models are incorporating food as medicine and nutrition protocols in the ways providers taking risk are using telehealth, remote health monitoring, and prescriptions for broadband, all to bolster health outcomes and people's ability to self-care at home. Jane continued saying, It's more of an and than an or. We know now in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic as financial health connects with mental health, physical health, and social civic health. Yes to healthy food. Yes to healthcare access, especially primary care. Yes to clean and safe environments. Yes to equity and mutual respect for our fellow health citizens. So think about that for a minute. It's more of an and than an or. It isn't food or medical services. It's both. It isn't sick care or preventive care, it's both. I frequently talk about two paths, optimizing the existing hospital, provider, insurance-centric model, as well as pursuing entirely new choices that exist partially or fully outside of that model. So maybe there's more room for growth when we start thinking with an and rather than an or. 
If you're listening to this podcast, it's usually because you want to be part of something better. You don't want to just accept the crappy parts about healthcare as sunk costs. You want to actively work towards making something better. If you're in a hospital or health system, you're usually one of the ones who looks for ways to design or build a better consumer experience in an environment that historically has provided anything but that. If you work for a life science, pharma, or medtech organization, you're typically partnering with clinicians in those efforts. If you work for a consumer brand that's entering this space, you're typically focused on that second path, bypassing hospitals and payers altogether. And if you work for an agency or a tech vendor that sells into any of those audiences, you typically provide the extra value of helping your clients and their clients better understand their roles in the process. Regardless, what nearly all of you have in common is that you see value in exploring the frontiers of consumer health. You believe in the collective power of new entrants and that with all of these new choices, consumers can ultimately win. When we talk about bringing the mindset of the disruptors to the mainstream, I believe this is a crucial part. I also think that trying to solve too many problems at once has stalled many would-be innovators and disruptors. Which brings us back to John Mackey's keynote. During the session, he teased his next act, saying, Why don't we have clinics that help people change their diets and lifestyles so they can reverse the disease or prevent it? It's astounding. There's a huge entrepreneurial opportunity out there for this, and I'm going to do something about it. It's going to be my next career after Whole Foods. No doubt we'll see what that means in the coming months, but one thing's for sure, healthcare continues to move upstream, and we'll continue to see more of a focus on things like food as medicine become part of the conversation. It's time to pay more attention to what whole person health really means and how we, as industry insiders, can make more progress in that area. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the Flava of the Week. Let's get into the flow, everybody. Give it up for Alan Shoebridge. He's the Chief Communication Officer for Providence, Oregon. Alan's in the house today to share some provocative thinking about consumer-first health. We're going to dive into some differing perspectives. I think that hopefully we're going to find some more common ground than people might realize in terms of uh, where we hope healthcare goes from here. So, Alan, say hello to our listeners and tell us something that gets you out of bed in the morning. Hey, Jerry. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here for the conversation today. Well, you know, it's funny. I'm not a coffee drinker. So it's not coffee that gets me out of bed. Sometimes I'll have tea. But, you know, I think right now what I'm excited about is here where I work in Oregon and, you know, across the country. We are recovering from COVID. We're having, you know, we're getting back. I think we're getting back to sort of the work we want to do. We're getting out of the crisis mode. So, you know, it's always been rewarding to work in healthcare. And even as we were kind of working in the real trenches with COVID, you know, now getting back to, I think, what excites us and telling our stories and moving on past, you know, what we've been dealing with with COVID, at least for a while. I'm excited about it. And I, and I know a lot of my colleagues are too. I would agree totally to that. So what else did I miss in your bio? Like what else would you like your listeners to know about you and your background and where you're at right now? Sure. Well, one thing that I think a lot about in terms of how it's affected my career growth, you know, I started out in journalism, actually. I was a, a newspaper reporter, you know, and it's really taught me how to to think about things, how to clearly communicate, how to tell a good story. And just one of those experiences where I enjoyed doing it. I knew I wanted to not be doing it forever, but I really credit it for helping me kind of communicate and be able to think differently about stuff. And I really enjoyed that experience. Oh, very cool. It's interesting how often I see journalism in someone's background (laughs) that ends up in places where, quite frankly, we need it. Right. Well, just being able to tell a story. You know, you think I talked about COVID, but you know, what do you need to communicate? What's the most important thing? Put it first, build your story. Like, 
that you learn that discipline and you also just learn to do things fast. And, and that's been a huge benefit throughout my career. Oh, I can see that for sure. Well, I mean, in the work you're doing right now, there's a lot of a need to tell the story in the right way. So that actually kind of leads into where we're hoping to go with the conversation today. And let me try to set this up and then uh, I'll throw this over to you, Alan. But we're going to try a bit of a different format in terms of us being able to kind of come to a, a place where I think, first and foremost, I think people who know both of us uh, realize that we like to share our, you know, our thoughts and a lot of different experiences and trends that we're seeing out there. And sometimes I think people might think that we're at odds a little bit when really, I don't know if we really are. I think we come from this from the same angle in a lot of different ways. So, I mean, I think it's safe to say that we very much respect each other professionally. We've both been in this space for a while. At times you've had questions about the place of retail brands and healthcare. And I've had questions about health systems ability to create a more retail-like experience and so I thought it'd be really interesting if we kind of bring both sides of this to the table and for me, attempt to practice what I preach in terms of bringing overlapping, but still not completely the same perspectives to the table, see if we can understand each other's perspectives and get to a better place. And one point that you were mentioning to me before we got on the air here, I think is a perfect place for us to start when we're talking about in general consumer first healthcare and particularly retail health and retail brands as part of that. You were mentioning just in general about where people are coming from, especially those at hospitals and health systems these days. Uh, do you want to get started there and kind of sharing with me right before we got on the air? Sure. Well, I think we really do have a shared objective, which is to make healthcare better, to make it easier, to make it more uh, consumer focused. And, you know, I'll just say over the last couple of years, you know, I've worked at two of the largest healthcare systems in the country. Each had well over 100,000 employees, 50 plus hospitals. And then I also worked at a small community health system too, a one hospital system. And I, I'll tell you what they have in common is large and small, both focused on trying to make things easier, trying to enhance the experience. And I, I would just say, I think over the last probably 10 years, I haven't met an executive in the country, anyone running a hospital who wasn't thinking about making the experience better, who wasn't looking at some of the new entrants coming into healthcare and thinking, how can we do things like they're doing it? Or how can we partner with them? Or really thinking about innovation. So I think that's the best part. I mean, everyone seems very aligned to that. Now, there's very legitimate questions I think that you raise a lot about how fast can we do this? Are we doing everything we can to make it happen? So the nice thing is, I think the destination is shared in a lot of ways. It's just arguing, for lack of a better word, of like, how long is it going to take to get there? How are we going to do it? Who's going to be doing what? I think that's where the, the differences lie, but not in the ultimate goal, which again, better healthcare, better consumer experience. And honestly, like who doesn't want that? Unfortunately, all of us at some point in our lives are going to interact with healthcare. It's just, you can't avoid it. And when you want to, when you interact with healthcare, you want it to be as good as possible. So I just feel confident saying that people working in healthcare are pushing for that. And again, it just varies on how we're going to get there, how we're going to do it, how long we're going to take. I think that's that's the things that we're going to have to iron out and figure out. I respect that. I really do. I feel like the recognition that there's a shared destination here is easy to get lost in all of the hubbub, everything we read online and all of the positioning, if you will, of different brands and voices out there to try to say 
one thing or the other is better or going to happen. And, and when it does or doesn't, then, you know, that means these other things aren't as valuable or a certain perspective just isn't recognized in, in the same way. And so I think that's a, a powerful place for us to start here. If I put that into an application, like how do I apply that in a day-to-day way? One place it leads me to is this idea of if I'm trying to look at everything from the consumer's perspective, because I will tell you on my own journey, I've learned a lot along the way. I came up from a very, I'd call it a channel-based and strategy-based perspective, meaning as new channels came on, whether that were that was websites, social media, mobile apps, first on a smartphone, then on a tablet, different sizes and responsive design on a website. Then that turned into podcasting and other channels where there were so many happening so many, so quickly that we had to spend a lot of time and effort learning the rules of engagement for each of these channels. And then those rules would change. And so as a result, in some of the organizations I worked for, I would notice that it was hard to put your finger on, are we keeping the customer's perspective at the center and sometimes the answer was yes, and sometimes it really wasn't. So when I'm trying to do the same thing right now, and I'm trying to look at healthcare choices from a consumer's perspective, I would first and foremost define consumer as somebody who is either currently experiencing and encountering the healthcare system, or they will need to in the future. So they're at least someone who's attempting to address their own health and wellness, I guess, is my standing definition. So from that standpoint, somebody who maybe isn't actively a patient like today, but could be tomorrow, then from that perspective, we do hear a lot of feedback about understanding the choices that we have. So when we hear about new entrants and new disruptors, as some call them, I do like to call them that just because I feel like if they go the places they say they're going to go, then it will disrupt a lot of the business systems behind traditional healthcare. So when we, we hear about new entrants, and these are consumer brands for the most part, they're retail brands. It's the ones we do talk a lot about on this podcast, and, and you post a lot and talk about them too, Alan. They're the Walgreens, Walmart, CVS, Amazon, Best Buy, Dollar General, you name it. <laughs> it seems like everyone's in healthcare now. I'm waiting for like... Tide detergent, I don't know, uh, CrossFit, whoever it is, they're all in healthcare now or, or planning to be, it seems like. So from a consumer standpoint, it seems like in general, that could be a good thing. Like some of those services that they offer could be a better choice for me. It just, it puts me as a consumer in this tough place of, but do I ask my doctor about it? <laughs> like, like, how do I weave myself through that new landscape? How do I know what the choices are and how do I trust what they are? Even if some of those new choices are better for me ultimately. So I think there's a big challenge there in recognizing that, is that true? Are some of those offerings from these consumer brands a good thing for consumers or not? That's a question I try to think about a lot. And I think that answer could change, you know, depending on our point of view. What do you think about that just in general, the thought that some of the choices from retail brands could be good for consumers, but then that means it's hard to figure out? Yeah. And I think that they will be, you know, it's just funny. It made me recollect too, that, you know, I talked about how much our thinking within healthcare systems has changed over the past decade. And I remember, you know, 10 years ago, having a conversation about consumers and that word was controversial. Like, oh no, we, we don't use that word. We, we have patients, you know, we don't have consumers. But now if you're in meetings, the word consumer and patient are used very interchangeably. And the kind of whole thinking about consumerism, I think it's really changed and, and healthcare organizations are, are embracing that and trying to, again, trying to figure out how to deliver it. Now, I think that, like you said, these services, there's going to be a lot of positives. And I mean, we see positives on some of these things because honestly, there's services that we either in some communities can't build up fast enough or 
there's not enough demand, but maybe maybe the demand could be handled by telemedicine, something like that. But so I think there's this piece around where it's going to fill gaps in care that could be actually very helpful. And I think you'll see a lot of health care organizations, we've already seen this, partnering with some of these new entrants too to, to team up and do things and close gaps in care. And I just feel overall too that the convenience factor is, is really important. I think the hard part is going to be how do all these things connect? So, you know, like you may have, let's say you have a, a visit someday with you, maybe soon with Amazon, you're getting a tele, telemedicine visit. You're doing, you're talking to a nurse practitioner, maybe a doctor, and you've got a, a simple concern and that's great. You handle it. But what if it becomes more difficult? What if that suspicious mole or something might be cancerous and you need to actually get referred into a, someone who can actually take a look at you or evaluate it? And then worst case scenario, if you actually have to have some sort of operation or treatment or whatever. So how do we connect that? Because I think you're right. The convenience factor up front is going to be very helpful. And for many types of conditions and things you're dealing with, it, it's great. But you lose the connection. Like, how do you get into the system? And that's where I think we are going to be working between sort of the you know more traditional providers and the new entrants to close those gaps or leverage the data or or do that. And it just remains to be seen, I think, how all that's going to work. You run into a place or a problem where people are almost overwhelmed with choices and systems that don't talk to each other. And that that could be actually something that we kind of wrestle with and we see if there's going to be a way to, to harness that all. But I think the choice factor is really important. You know, when I have my primary care doctor, you know, I made an appointment down in California before I moved up here to, to Oregon. And my doctor's office said, do you want to do it virtually or do you want to do it in person? And my answer was, what can I do quickest? You know, like if I, if I can do video today, I'll do that. If I can do in person, I'll do that. But just having the benefit of that uh, convenience was really important to me. And I, I really enjoyed it. And we know there's going to be times where the virtual visit isn't going to be sufficient. They're not going to be able, they need to see you. They need to run a test. So again, it's connecting all that. And I think the other question is going to become around access to the options. So for people who can maybe pay out of pocket, or if the service isn't covered by their insurance, can they afford it? Well, some of these things that are closing gaps are really helpful. For people who are more vulnerable, or maybe they are on a state Medicaid plan or something, are they are these things going to be covered? Would they have the ability to pay for it out of pocket? So again, I think bringing all this into the market is very helpful. It's just going to become, I think, about connecting it. How do we sort of connect the experience so you're not on all these islands? You've got more choices, but you're more disconnected in a way. So that that's going to be the, the challenge, I think. I agree. I, I couldn't agree more. I think that's going to be the number one issue for the next two years, five years, 10 years. I don't know how long it's going to take to, you know, to get to a steady state where somebody has really figured that out for a majority of hospitals and health systems that works for them. And I think that's a, an important thing to acknowledge, like you just said. And that kind of actually leads to the next point that I, I'd love to discuss with you here. Because I know it's something that's near and dear to your heart, which is our honoring the work that our frontline workers do and have been doing well before COVID, but in particular, as everyone knows, the last couple of years, the incredible amount of work that our frontline workers do every day to try and save lives, and in particular, to, to have battled this pandemic. And I know I've seen it and encountered it myself, and I've had to be careful the way that things get worded when I start talking about 
okay, hey, now we see all this need and opportunity for change and transformation with a capital T and say, hey, like, let's change all the things we're doing and let's transform. Like, let's do all these things. Consumers want these things and we're not there yet. So let's just go for it. And I think it's really easy for that to be interpreted as almost disrespectful for the work that's going on day to day. You know, I want to make it clear that in my mind, calling for change, calling for transformation, it doesn't have to come at odds with the work that's going on right now. And hopefully it's done in a very tasteful and respectful way to show that, that it's not seen as disrespectful. I know you've written on this topic uh, numerous times lately about how don't come to me and talk to me about all these grand new big ideas if you're not even acknowledging the way that things are working right now. What's your thought on that? Yeah, no, I, I think it's a really great point. And I think there's a couple of things happening. There's been times when people are getting ready to roll back mass mandates and do things. And still you've got like hospitals that are, that are at capacity. And you had this sort of disconnect of, well, a lot of people are just going around their lives. But if we're working in a hospital, we're seeing full COVID wards and you know horrible situations and we're bringing patients are coming in who are claiming they don't have COVID and we're fighting with them. And, you know, so there's just been this, this landscape of, I think that what's happening in the hospitals at various times for the last two years has been very, very difficult. And so when you've got a full patient ward, when your hospital is 60, 70% COVID patients, and you're just basically fighting to triage and just, just keep it running, that's when it becomes very difficult to say, well, okay, well, you know, what about this new thing we ought to do or this enhancement? And, and it's been, a, I think, a balancing act for, you know, the most progressive systems to kind of keep that work moving while at the same time acknowledging, like, this is not standard operating times for us. And, you know, that's been challenging. So it, it's just, adding, I think it's adding that perspective because you need to keep this work going. You need to keep thinking about how to transform care. We've we've had that dialogue going throughout the last two and a half years, but it just needs the context of at the same time, what's happening on the ground floor, what's happening with our caregivers. So it's been just a, it's been a really unusual time, a really challenging time. I know I shouldn't say unprecedented. It's become a, a cliche, <laughs> but honestly, like it, it's a huge level of disruption. And I think the way you, you continue to work through a time like that but still, you focus on that in-state goal, which is we want a better experience for the consumer so that when our access opens up, when our staffing stabilizes, that we can provide the best possible experience. So we need to keep working toward that goal. And I think I think that's the way you do it. I think you start with that in-state of mind. We want the best experience for our patients and those we serve. But we acknowledge that right now, especially during a lot of 2020 and 2021, it is very difficult to shift our focus from basically an emergency crisis situation to thinking about enhancing things that you know, some people might consider, you know, nice to haves. Well, right now we're in a triage situation. So, but, you know, we're coming out of that. And that's like I said, at the top of the podcast, I mean, we're entering a space now where it's hard to know how long we'll last because we've seen the peaks and valleys. We've been on the roller coaster, but right now we're coming out of it. And right now is the time to think about maximizing your planning. Think about maximizing these strategies and really for as long as we can, hopefully it'll last. Hopefully we won't get a huge spike or a huge surge, but let's maximize our time in that period where we can actually focus on the transformation, the enhancements. And I think people are doing that. That's what I've seen. So I'm encouraged by that. Stay tuned for more provocative thinking after the break. Hey, listen up, y'all. Did you know that nearly 60% of people wish their healthcare provider sent them more relevant health information? And 42% would even consider switching to a different provider that sent them more, according to a recent survey of patients in the U.S. 
The vast majority of them would prefer to get that information via email or text. Persado is a natural language AI company that provides healthcare organizations with pre-developed, pre-optimized messaging journeys proven to build digital relationships, improve health goals, and increase patient retention. Deliver better health outcomes and revenue growth with Persado's data-driven content that inspires action. Visit persado.com to learn more. That's persado, P-E-R-S-A-D-O.com to find out how Persado can help. Justin Knott here with the Patient Convert Podcast, your weekly dose of healthcare marketing growth strategies, co-hosted by Justin and Kelly Knott. This is perfect for physicians, practice owners, healthcare entrepreneurs, and healthcare executives. We are breaking down what practices and healthcare organizations should be doing to grow, reach, and retain patients. There's so much confusion and so many options out there around what you should be focusing on to grow your practice, and we're breaking down each week what really works. We're bringing real-world application, case studies, and interviews from leading growth-minded physicians and healthcare executives. So catch us weekly on your favorite listening platforms, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google. Okay, back to the flow. How can we bring a consumer's perspective into the design and strategy part of planning, like the planning you were just mentioning? It's just interesting to start to see, I think, a little bit of change and redirection happen. And it's kind of exciting. Yeah, something you said made me think about who has to drive this sort of work within a within an organization. I do think the most successful way to do it is to sort of carve out people who just think about this. Because if you just layer oh, our consumerism focus, like let's just have marketing do it or let's just have our strategy team do it or in addition to everything else that they're doing. You can drive some change and you can do some things, I think, incrementally, but you won't get as much value if you do that versus, say, actually putting some dedicated resources to it. And so like at Providence, you know, we've stood up this digital innovation group and this is like an area that that's what they concentrate on. They concentrate on innovation. They concentrate on consumer-centric experiences. That's their focus. And I know not everyone can have the resources to stand up something like that. But I think even at some smaller systems, it really behooves you to like hire someone and put them in charge of this. And don't just add it to someone's day job and think that, you know, off the side of your desk, you can do all this extra stuff. Again, you can do some things and it's better than nothing, but I really do think that having someone who champions this, who can pull levers throughout the organization to make things happen, and this is what they concentrate on every day, you're going to have a lot better chance of success of driving that innovation. Because I think the other challenge, and you mentioned this a little bit, but you know, once you start just doing something, you, you've got your order sets in, you've got a way that you process patients, it is disruptive to come in and say, no, we need to make this e-. In the long run, we're going to make this easier. But in the short term, we're going to make your life more complicated. <laughs> As you as a staff person, we're going to make the next three to six months really complicated. But the end state is that it's a better experience for our patients. They enjoy it better. The outcomes are better. The loyalties. On the end, this is all good for all of us. But you need to be aware this is going to be disruptive for a while. And you need to have someone who champions that day in, day out. Because if you're just trying to do it here and there, it's going to be very difficult to get that change done. Oh, I totally agree. That's what gives you a leg hold to be able to a leg hold. That's what gives you a foothold yeah. <laughs> to, to be able to 
scale that eventually, but yeah, it's got, it's got to work somewhere and somebody's got to own it at, at some oh, point. And, and then it, then it could become part of the culture, but it, like that, none of that happens magically. And in fact, that that's funny. That kind of leads to the final point I have for you here, which is one of those things I, I've just seen exchanges online. And I feel like it's probably just the result of people not quite interpreting things correctly on social media, right? <laughs> Crazy how that happens. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's this thought that the valuing innovation doesn't devalue operations. And what I mean by that is the disconnect a lot of times between the new leader or the consultant that comes in to an established healthcare organization and says, I've got all the answers for you. Here's how we're going to innovate. We're going to transform everything. And they bring a lot of confidence and enthusiasm and data and case studies and even prior experience. And they're like, these are all the ways we're going to do it. It's basically changing all the things that you're doing right now. It's kind of what you were speaking about. It's like, even if it's just the next three to six months, right? We're going to change a lot or just give you a lot more to do on top of what you're already doing. You're going to have to do the things you're doing now better. You're going to have to optimize that while doing something in a different way at the same time. And so it just comes across to to those who are in operations, who are day-to-day actually doing the majority of the work. They're managing two directions. They're rarely getting all the credit, you know. They're, but they're doing the majority of the hands-on work. And they are explaining to people how we're going to have to keep changing all these things. They're the ones in the trenches. And they're the ones who hear a consultant or a new leader like this and just think, yeah, that's not going to work. They just don't understand what it's like to work here day to day. They don't realize the sunk costs we have or the technical debt or the staffing issues, which, you know, you and I could probably spend a whole other episode talking about the staffing issues right now. And now they're telling me to transform or innovate. And and you're like, yeah, right. (laughs) You you know, like that's just, that's not going to happen. You know, I can be told to, but I see so many holes in this boat. I don't even know where to start. (laughs) You're like, why didn't they ask me about this? That's a big disconnect. And yet if we're being real, it happens a lot. And so there's got to be a better way to move forward and to move forward at a, you know, at a, at a pace that's going to make the changes worth it. Because, you know, I definitely question sometimes the, the pace of change, but something's got to help us move forward and not devalue the people who are acting this out, like doing all the work. And I think that's a disconnect that we can come at a little bit more directly and acknowledge that, yeah, this actually happens a lot. And how are we going to get past that? Because I just see it as a as a major barrier and maybe one of the reasons why culture-wise, we haven't always valued innovation because we feel like it disrespects the work we're doing every day. Well, yeah. And you know, it's interesting. Something you said made me think about, about the situation with how I think that I've responded to some of the new entrants in, into care. So, you know, anytime I read about, you know, a new service getting stood up, especially in person, my thought is that a lot of times the coverage of it is so-and-so is rolling this out. Oh my goodness, it's going to be a huge success. And it might be, but I often think about, well, what about the operation issues that you are going to experience? So I know that if you're going to set up in-person healthcare right now in this country anywhere, you're going to have some barriers. Staffing, like you just said. So are you going to be able to get your doctors, your nurse practitioners where are you going to find them from? Now, you know, people are changing jobs and things are very fluid right now. But again, you're going to have to pay pretty significant wages for that staffing. The pipeline for getting staffing in the future is tough. And I think the other thing is the bigger some of these entrants get, well, I've got news for them. They might be looking at union negotiations down the road. So there's a lot there that, again, it's not to say that they're they're going to be unsuccessful, but it always rankles me a little bit when it's just like, well, so-and-so will just roll this out and it'll just be a success because they're really smart at logistics or they've been really good on the retail food, whatever. 
And and I think those things are important and that gives them maybe a, a leg up on something or a, an advantage in a lot of ways, but it doesn't necessarily jive with, well, here's all the things that do make healthcare very difficult and you will have to work through those. Now, you, know, you might be very successful, you might be able to leverage, you know, your scale or your technical abilities in a way that traditional healthcare can't. But you have to acknowledge that those are going to be barriers and some are going to be difficult and some are going to fail. I mean, we've seen so much happen, like in the health insurance side of new insurance coming in and trying to offer insurance and just losing a lot of money quarter after quarter after quarter. Now, it's not because they're not smart or motivated or, you know, run by um, talented people. They are. They're just up against a lot of business challenges. So I think you have to acknowledge that. And that does kind of get into what you were saying about even when you're trying to drive change internally, you do have to acknowledge some of the barriers. Now, I think you have to hammer a home on why we need to knock the barriers down when we can. And when you're trying to drive change and innovation inside of an organization, what I think you need to do is, again, you need to focus on that goal. Like, what are we trying to do? Why is this important? Get that buy-in. And then you have to get people who do have credibility. To your point about consultants just can't come in and say, this is going to be easy. They have to say, this is going to be tough, but here's why it's important. Here's what we're going to realize from it. You know, here's the benefit either to our patients or financially is more sustainable, you know, whatever it is. But you gotta you gotta make the case with a dose of realism. And that's that's how I just I approach pretty much any industry news right now. I'm like, okay, this may be really awesome. This is a cool idea, but it's not gonna necessarily be easy. And I think one of the comparisons I've heard a lot is some of the uh, retail pharmacies are building clinics in person and things. And I think that's great. But I do often flash back to like, well, I go to those places a lot. They often seem very understaffed. You know, maybe they've got one pharmacist and one person working the checkout line. Well, if that's the same experience they're going to give to people at the clinic that are standing up, they're going to face a lot of issues. So it's just not going to be easy. I mean, I think that's the thing that I like to try to just provide a little context. This is going to help provide choice, convenience. Uh, it may be, it may be very successful, but it's not going to be easy. Well said, Alan. Well said. I think we've really come to a good place here where, and I really just want to thank you for giving us so much to think about today and giving us so much of your time. As we wrap up here, I just want to give our listeners a chance to, to say like, what's the best way for them to connect with you? And then uh, any final words or thoughts that you'd like to share with us? Yeah. Well, thanks. Well, you definitely find me on my website, alanshubridge.com. I've got a blog on there that uh, I talk about subjects like we were just going over today. Um, also LinkedIn, Twitter, you can look me up there. Just my name. I'm pretty easy to find. Yeah. And I think just a parting thought is it's, I, I'm really energized by the fact that, again, like where we started our conversation, I think everyone, whether you're working in traditional healthcare organization, you're working in a new entrant, we're all focused on the patient experience and making it better. Everyone wants healthcare to be better. And that's that's the good thing. I think, you know, again, working through the frustrations around pace and how long it takes and, you know, can we drive faster, further? I mean, yeah, we should. So I, I'm just, I'm energized and excited by the fact that I think we're all aligned to that end state, which is the most important thing. We want better care for for the communities we serve. And I think that's a great, a great shared perspective and objective we can have. Well, thanks again, Alan. Stay safe. Best of luck to everything that you've got going on. And I hope to hear from you again soon. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks again for listening. We hope you found some value in this conversation. And if you did, do us a favor and follow us using your favorite podcast app. Then tell your friends and colleagues about us. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Healthcare app is a member of the shift.health content network. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, you're going to love the other shows in the Shift.Health content network. Go check out the latest show. In fact, it's called Hello Healthcare, hosted by Chris Hemphill. It's focused on people who are moving healthcare forward, how healthcare strategy relates to data and AI, and what you can do to create or demand a better future. Subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform or at shift.health, where all 35 podcasts and video series are free and available on demand. Until next time, keep marketing forward. Thanks. And that's a wrap. Thank you.